This is the essential guide to surviving humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. A little bit scary for both of us. About, yeah, said what the topic's about. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. Oh, okay. You see, she's champing at the bit, and there's a reason for that. Both of us, for entirely different reasons, have been subject to, I think, the easiest and nicest way of describing it, media manipulation. Yes, media manipulation. Yes. Now, I mean, in my case, it was at the back end of the music industry, and I'm not going to go into details, but I will make reference to it. But in your case, it was down to the fact that you had been a relatively successful actress and writer, and you were looking for the next thing to perhaps propel yourself to the next level. And a suggestion was made that you take part in um, a TV mockumentary, documentary, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, well, it was called um, Tribal Wives. Oh. And I guess it was a reality TV, is what you call it now, um, on BBC Two. But this was reality TV before reality TV, really? Yes, I guess so. I mean, it's 10 years ago now. Yeah, so the sort of the huge number of reality TVs that we have now, it wasn't the case so much then. No. There was Big Brother and maybe a, a couple of other things. But I tell you what, it, it to me it was kind of in the mould of the Osbournes, whereby you're following a group of people in a circumstance. And that was you, really. They put you in a circumstance and followed you. So I was sent an email by someone I'd considered a friend, who I used to know in my Bristol days when I was at drama school. Okay. And she sent an email, a group email, um, I guess to some of her female friends, and it said, would you like to transform your life? That was the title of the email. And then went on to describe quite briefly that there was going to be a programme which involved people, six women, going out to six different tribes. I really didn't know anything more than that. And I said... Would I like to transform my life? I thought to myself, yeah, why not? It sounds exciting. Um, so was there a particular reason why you wanted to transform your your wife? Your wife? Would you would you like to transform your wife? No. I don't know was there I'm any saying. reason why you wanted to transform your life? Or, or was it just happen chance that you were at the point where you're thinking, I need something new to drive me? That's a really good question. I was just about to hit 40. I found myself alone without children or... A partner and I think by that time yeah, I thought that's what would happen to me that I'd be probably have a family by now and 40 is also the age where you're told by doctors that you're no longer going to be able to conceive that's sort of the number they say would be it's better not to go beyond 40 yeah so I remember going well, to that's my, a conventional wisdom sure yeah. yeah so I remember going to my GP and talking about I think I was talking about my thyroid or something like that and she uh -huh. happened to just say are you okay are you all right in yourself and I just broke down in floods of tears and I said no I'm not you know I feel completely lost and adrift I've lost my purpose in life so this GP was absolutely amazing and there was talk about antidepressants but I didn't feel that's what, what it was about. It was about an identity crisis. I essentially was having an identity crisis. Was that because you'd lost your purpose? I was, was talking to you, wasn't I, just before we uh, started recording about reading some letters that I received when I was uh, in Japan. I lived there three years and I was sending these letters regularly to my, I guess she was like my surrogate mother. It was my drama teacher at school who then became a very close friend and I would send these letters regularly back to her. Were they letters describing what was happening to you exactly. at that time? It was kind of like my way of journalising. So I was sending them to right. my mother and my and my drama teacher Anne Harvey and uh, I, I read them last night um, You know, and it, I just didn't recognise myself. I thought, who is this girl? And I was 25 and I, just in this one letter I described directing three major productions in a Japanese school. I directed Fame, Anne of Green Gables and and uh, the Phantom of the Opera. I had my own choreographer. I had an assistant director. I was being paid very good money. And I was just, 
I was just flying. You know, I was so passionate and driven. confident, driven, absolutely. And then there's an article written about me, this upcoming director of 25, producing, acting, directing with this avant-garde theatre called the Hysteric Theatre Tokyo. And I honestly didn't recognise that. I was so full of life. And then to move on 10 years, and we're at this point where I'm at my doctor's, I also had lost, I suppose, you know, my ego, and I've got to be honest about this, my ego. I hadn't had an audience for a very long time. I hadn't really acted or theatre and film, writing and acting was my passion. And for a long time, I hadn't been able to feed that passion. So I was in a very fragile, vulnerable, easily manipulated place in my life. Okay. So that was really, I jumped at this opportunity. When you audition for something, you never think you're going to get to the next stage. I knew that hundreds... Well, you have to tell yourself that, otherwise you're you're setting yourself up for continuous disappointment, aren't yes. you? Yes, but I guess reality TV it was, wasn't something that I ever, you know, dreamt about. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I did think I'll be seen as, you know, I have to be my ego was saying, and my narcissist side was saying, oh, I'll be seen as really brave and adventurous and courageous to go and live with a tribe. I didn't really know anything more. So I sent this form and I'm re looking at it now and um, some of the questions were, so it was quite a soul searching exercise in itself. So one of the questions was, for example, have you been anywhere remote before? If so, what did you think of it? What has your experience of travelling been? So I was able to say one of my most memorable experiences was travelling to Central Africa with um, an NGO. So, right. you know, even now reading, I forgot that I even did that. They wanted me to share my skills in forum theatre with members of the community who had been affected by AIDS. No, I remember you telling me about this. You used to sit down with the elders and you get them yes. to take part in these things out in the near the what? in a tree in, in the a tree. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so we use drama and role play to help participants consider their behaviour and that of others in order to bring about a change of attitude towards those who are being stigmatised to AIDS. And I said it's impossible to put into words how I felt about. Traveling. You've got them to check themselves before they wreck themselves. <laughs> Uh, then, you know, how would you integrate yourself with the tribe? I answered, I hope I would have an opportunity to learn. This is interesting in hindsight. I hope I would have an opportunity to learn about the tribe in preparation for my journey. I would also want to have a good understanding of what would be expected of someone joining the community. Right. And then once I had arrived, I would listen carefully and watch and learn. I would observe that. So this is all normal, rational stuff. You're saying, yeah. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what they expect of me. And I want to know how to integrate. I would want right? to be accepted and invited in yeah. once that had happened. You know. You want know how to integrate with yeah, these guys. Yeah, I get that. And then I guess this is another one that's interesting in terms of how I answered it. What would you do if you saw a tribal practice that you deeply disagreed with? How would you voice your opinion? I had to have a think about this, but what I said was if a stranger who was living with me for a month came to me and said that he disagreed with the way I was doing things on the grounds that it differed from how he did things at home, I would not be very open to his opinion. If, however, he told me that he found my behaviour cruel or inhumane, I would be more likely to want to know why he felt this way. I think in general it would be not my place to question the tribal practices of a community. But if you found them deeply disturbing, I suppose you're human. Yeah. And you'd feel potentially triggered compassion or, yeah. or, or, or or triggered emotional response of some sort. Yes, and I said I'd want to be, I'd want to ask the host what was behind the practice. Okay. Um, and then I, you know, there's a quite a long answer knowing to that full one. Well, knowing full well that, that some of those practices don't necessarily have a, a, a sensible answer, they're more uh, tradition. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. And I want to know where that tradition came from, I guess. Um, Do you know that, uh, as a complete aside, and it always blew me away, 
in in Easter time in uh, Eastern Europe, specifically in the Czech Republic, which is something I know a little bit about, it's absolutely tradition and considered normal for women to group up and then walk to boys' houses, knock on their door, present them with a switch, uh, a long bendy stick, bend over and ask them to whip them. That is normal. <laughs> now, you see what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's your definition know, of normal. I'd want to know where that tradition came from, I guess. You know, I'd want to know. They don't even know themselves. Wow. It's very deep entrenched in their tradition, but it's considered normal. They mm. go, I mean, it's, they do it playfully. And they usually, instead of being a, a proper switch, mm. it's these days just a, a, a branch with some leaves on it. So they bend over and they pat them on the back. And <laughs> and then they, hand, then they hand the boys uh, painted eggs. And that's the Easter egg tradition comes from that action but but the whole thing is you're beating each other up Mm. for what so Uh, that's another thing that's an example of how a tradition yeah and obviously I'm trying to come across as someone who's very open-minded and accepting of course you know so and then they ask what's the most adventurous thing you've ever done and again I talk about traveling to displacement camps in war-torn Burundi to run a theatre workshop I had designed myself. You sound like an ideal candidate for this. I know and I'm I'm looking back at this having not read it. Guys you should watch her face as she's reading this old stuff she hasn't you haven't looked at this for years right and you're looking at it thinking my god. Yeah and uh, so how do your friends describe you so I had to talk about that. you're one of those people you meet at parties and they say oh yeah I've done this and I've done that and I've, I've helped children there and I've, I've built communities here and built hospitals yeah I know it's, uh, well, it's very cool I mean, um, and then is there anything you would like to change about yourself or your life why, right. do, you want, why do you want a life changing experience try okay. to make this answer as specific as possible right so I and I, I won't, oh, this is the last thing I'll talk about. Um, I would like to be more adventurous and challenge myself on a deeper psychological level. I dread reaching old age, having lost my current level of fitness and mobility, only to realise that there were so many things I could have done, but didn't out of fear or lack of motivation. So this is just pure FOMO. You're just fearing that you might miss out on something when, you, when your bones all seize up. Yeah, but then I go on to say I tend to be quite controlling. I avoid being taken out of my comfort zone for fear that I will somehow be humiliated or exposed. All right. Well, and let's just think about what happened. Well, guys, this is not going to spoil it for you, but some of that shit actually happened. So we're going to get there. Yeah, I think this attitude is one I have inherited and is something I would like to change. I think. Well, that's going to be a whole new podcast, Nature and Nurture. My goodness, the yeah. both of us will go to town on that one. Yeah. I think spending time in a remote and alien environment would give me the opportunity to reassess what I currently consider my boundaries and tolerance levels to be. Uh-huh. It is very easy to exist in a cocoon in the civilised Western world. All right, all right, okay, okay, okay. We create our own limitations as a way of comforting. So, so everybody's going to be oh, gagging sorry. to know what happened next. I just read this. We create our own limitations as a way of conforming to what society dictates is the norm. Somewhere along the line, the brave warrior woman in me has been quietened. It is her I would like to resurrect. The underside of something that you've brushed under the carpet some time back and you're exploring why you did it and how it made you feel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's this, the brave warrior woman um, that has been quietened. So I still see it. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Part of what we're doing here is the brave warrior woman. Mm-hmm. Do, do you understand this? The fact what you're doing is you're showing your soft underside again. Mm. And you haven't done that for a while. No. So of course it's making you feel a bit fragile. But I've got you. Yeah. We, we knew this one was going to be a difficult one. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Yeah, this is good is. stuff. Because you know you're amongst people who actually love you. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. In the words of a great man, what happened next? <laughs>
So, um, I got through to the next round. Cool. They like my answers. Right. I am then invited to a very um, swanky um, either office or production room in uh, somewhere in Bristol, I think I went to. The casting couch. The casting couch. <laughs> and I had two producers. Yeah. Uh, one exec producer of the BBC. Wow. They, so they were laying it on thick here, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they made me you know. I was sort of, would you like a drink? You know, and the, yeah, you know, they made so you feel they made you feel wanted and special. Yeah, right? it's a VIP treatment. Of course, all the way. Yeah, and they asked me all these probing questions. All right, they, and they asked me all these probing questions. I guess based on the answers to my questionnaire. And I remember getting emo- I remember getting emotional and thinking I almost could see them rubbing their hands together and going, "We've got a good one here." This is hindsight speaking yeah in my mind i can see you thinking oh wow they really like me oh oh, oh, it's gonna be great they really like me or did you think uh i'm saying i'm obviously ticking their boxes so you could see it i could see them looking at each other almost and getting quite excited because you know i have quite a lot of baggage in terms of a woman on her own single at 40 i could see they were thinking there is potential here they thought you were tv gold (laughs) Yeah, I guess, because I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I, she really does. I'm i sensitive. So when people start to ask me those sort of questions. Yeah, but that's what makes you most endearing. You know that, don't you? <laughs> no, seriously. It's what makes you most endearing. It's that, as opposed to me, who, who wears my heart somewhere north of San Francisco, you actually wear your heart somewhere in the vicinity of your body. So I know what affects you because I can see it on your, in your face. Yeah, yeah. And I think they saw that. I think they saw that. So I then found out I'd got through to the next round right there might have been one more interview with a bigger panel i can't remember okay but i just kept getting told you're through to the next round but but it was basically uh ascending you were you were going up positive 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 feedback you're going to be so good positive 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 absolutely and i was sort of starting to tell people you know about uh-huh. this and they were going oh uh-huh. god you know this is going to be almost this is going to be the making of you I kind of knew it wasn't going to be the making of me, but I knew it was. this was something very special and very rare, I felt. Well, so finally, yes. I was told by the main producer, you've got down to the last 12. We're going to come to your house mm. and we're going to sit on the sofa and we're just going to have a jolly good chat. And I remember making her some kind of canapes and she said, wow, you know, no one's ever... I've interviewed quite a few women and no one's invited me and welcomed me with Hang food. Hang on, just one second there. You made... Canapes? Well, no. What are you in the mid eighties? Don't tell me they were volavon. I just put things in the oven. With a little volavon with things in the middle. A moose bouche. A moose bouche. They were little sort of falafel things. So, so when, so, so when the the butler turned up at the door with the waiters in tow. And the silver platter, and you presented them with these amusements. No, Gareth, I was just doing my normal thing, which is when people come round, I like to make them feel welcome. You're being the hostess with the most. I was. Okay. And um, I do remember her saying very honestly to me, Michelle, this is not going to make your acting career. Okay. It hit home. You just said you'd already had an inkling this wasn't going to be the making of you, so that couldn't have been. Were you hoping? I think there was part of me that thought this is going to bring me a level of visibility uh-huh. that I have never had before in a way that is going to bring out my true self. How wrong could I have been? I mean, you know, my true self. I was able to go to a tribe and show that I was open and totally non judgmental and really wanting to be accepted. 
and to accept. And uh, I remember saying that in the interview, you know, I want this to be almost like a, a dialogue of sharing each other's cultures. And that's how I saw it. And they loved it. They lapped it up. Do you know what? Ironically, if you turned up at that tribe and just acted like a bastard, that may have put, given you the uh, the coverage and the exposure that would have elevated you to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. The irony is yeah. that. But because you were nice and vulnerable and easily easily squashable and, mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, they just played that. They did. I mean, so to some extent. But remember, we're talking about manipulation here. Um, mm. Yeah. So um, cut to... Um, uh, you're through to the final six. Sure. You will be going. We're going to find the right tribe for you. I couldn't have been more happy. They told me that you're going to be going to the Amazon. Wow. And you're going to be meeting the chief of the tribe and they wow. were going to welcome the you. Amazon. And pretty much at that stage, we were told you're not going to know exactly where, but at first we were told you won't know, you have no idea where you're going. Right. But we'll tell you to pack for hot or cold climate. That's all you'll know. So I get to Friday, I'm going on the Monday, I've packed for hot. I've said goodbye, I've had this huge goodbye party in the park and I've said goodbye to everyone at the gym and all my friends and I'm told on the Monday it's not happening. Swine flu had happened and although oh. the chief was saying we wanted to come still, there were certain boundaries where they were saying we don't want any Westerners coming. So I was told you're not going, but we are finding you another tribe. So right, so, so your primary... The thing that everybody had built up to was not happening, and they're suddenly scrabbling around to find anything else they could shove you in for. Exactly. So, and she admitted that we've got we're going back to see some of the tribes that we rejected initially, but but just to let you know, you were going to go to the rainforest, to the Amazon. Thanks a lot. I end up going to. What... Was that here? Here's what you would have won, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. God. So she goes around, and two weeks later, I'm told we found you a tribe. Again, we're not able to tell you where, but pack for hot. I was taken in a taxi to get my visa. I was blindfolded and I was taken wow. blindfolded into the embassy. I then discovered to be the embassy of Mexico and um, and my visa was stamped or I was given my visa or whatever. I had to take my passport, I remember that. And then I was taxied back and then on the Monday I left. So I ended up going to a place called, the, it was the Raramori tribe. Um, Raramori. The Raramori tribe. Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. It that does, one. doesn't it? And where were they in Mexico? In, yeah, in Gataibo, it's called. Right. Um, and it's 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 called the Copper Canyon. So it's very beautiful, the Copper Canyon. And we were going to be flying to Houston and then to Chihuahua, and from there we were going to take a donkey up to the tribe. Take a donkey. <laughs> With my, with my... From the donkey rental. Yes, and I had my sort of sports car. <laughs> Hertz donkey rental, yes. Will that donkey be with uh, electric windows or... Yeah, right, okay. And it had my sports direct sort of big typical sort of backpack uh, on it. And then we Fantastic. just walked. We walked up and up and up. How long did it take you to get up there? Several... A day, about a day, yeah. Wow. And all we had was water, you know, to drink. Anyway, I got there and I just felt hostility when she arrived she walks into where there's a scattered group of elders and and the wife yes. that you're going to be assisting or mm. working with Raphael. and there was just nothing mm -hmm. there was just no no response i wouldn't call it hostility they just didn't do anything no yeah so there was you trying to emote and yeah. getting nothing back yeah a kind of blank stony stare really. yeah yeah and that is really what i experienced for the whole month I wasn't welcome. They didn't want to do this. Um, I imagine that later on they were paid some money towards the school that they had. So 
82 hours of film was recorded over that month and they chose 50 minutes and that 50 minutes it was the worst misrepresentation of me I could ever have imagined they picked only moments where you were at your worst yeah so um, but I suppose if you're trying to create a consistent narrative and you want to portray that this person is losing their shit then you pick all the worst moments don't you yeah and the title was this Michelle suffers from crippling self-doubt now I think my questionnaire even just the bits I read showed that I wasn't someone who really suffered from crippling self-doubt. Yes, I was in a difficult place in my life. I think what I remember feeling when I watched it was utter betrayal because there were many hours of me being brave and having great fun with Jesus, was the boy who was in his 20s and had all these ambitions to go to Chihuahua and find a job. And he had a sort of built this um, gym in the forest with wood and ropes you know they took me there once although they knew that I was a bit of a gym bunny at the time I was allowed to go there once but we sort of really bonded and talked about so much and there were these sweet dogs and children that I had spent hours playing with but what they chose to show was me not coping not finishing the race that I was meant to run even though it was 40 degrees I hadn't acclimatized yet I'd be had terrible food poisoning the night before but of course they didn't show that and me really crying and you know really seeming to be what the metro described as a wet blanket so they could have shown another story of course this is the one that as you know was going to was going to sell but what was really I suppose almost worst part was seeing my friends watching it in my company one so-called friend saying wow gosh yeah television really does put on three or four inches and kind of yeah yeah I know I'm sorry I I just uh, I I only say this because I this is the kind of sort of thing I would say. I know. Um, she's on the spectrum. She's on the spectrum too. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm sorry, guys. It's a, yes. So, oh, dear. And also, by seeing my friend's face, almost fall and going, yeah. that's not Michelle. That's not you. What, well, what, that's what, what, a human at the very worst, at the very end done? of their tether. Yeah. And, um, They've been very selective. Yeah, yeah. They were very selective. And uh, I spent the evenings with, on my own, with um, everyone. Remember, I couldn't speak the language. I didn't understand any of it. It was a completely alien. There was no sense of anything uh, I understood. Spanish was the closest. I don't speak any Spanish. They would send an interpreter at random times. They would appear at random times. When was it? Once I was in bed and they woke me up and the camera was in my face, you know. So it's, you're put in the worst possible circumstances. I was lonely. I was made to feel unwanted. I sat there smiling as they sat around talking and laughing at me. And and that, you know, I think I said in this um, questionnaire that humiliation and mocking is one of my worst sort of triggers, you know. Uh, you know, systematic. So you felt salty throughout it because because the you'd almost given them the ammunition and then they'd just gun for it, yeah. right? And I had the cold mother who obviously represented my cold mother and she was mean to me and said horrible things to me and uh, you know I'll never forget how she treated me. And of course that triggered all the old childhood memories it was bound to do and that's what they wanted. And the other side I had this female director who admitted she was gay and she came on to me once and you know that was I don't know whether that was planned um, but I remember feeling deeply uncomfortable but she sort of tried to you know get close to me so that I would open up more and more and I remember at one point I said I'm not ready to wear this peasant costume it was like a weekend and I just I'm not ready to you know because it was a sort of initiation of sorts where they dressed me in the head 
dress and I said I'm not ready and they said um, the BBC say that you will have to do it now you know and they had a certain sort of you know cycle of things and events and I remember feeling bullied that I wanted to go home um, and I couldn't go home and I was you know I knew that I would I knew that this was not going to end up well the story they, they created an arc and at the end um, Raphael's piece for me to go away with was walk your life and yes there is an element of me that hadn't been walking my life I'd been walking the life of my parents and those you know my what people had wanted me to walk so I suppose I came away with that and I do something so that that that, if we're going to try and look for a silver lining it was that it focused on the one aspect that you could take away which is to walk your actual life don't walk somebody else's desires. Yes, yes, and I think she might have picked up that I. She said you analyse too much. You're overthinking things. Just walk uh-huh. your life. Walk forward. Keep going. You know. Yes. And even now, as I say it, I feel quite moved by that. So that was the sort of going away bit. But um, in a way, it's a bit trite. It is. It's totally trite. Yeah, and and all can try. So to get there, you went through I mean, humiliation. Degradation and being pushed around for the sake of the BBC to get themselves a few half decent sound bites and a little bit of retribution at the end. Yeah, and remember, you know, this was marketed in a way that, you know, crippling self doubt. And also, I'm a contributor. So I I signed away all my rights. So for years afterwards, I was being told, I mean, I was at this point, not that I was particularly comfortable in that role, but I was coaching executives all over the world, in particular in Geneva. And I remember. The, um, my client saying, oh, one of the clients has just seen you in this show called Tribal Wives. And I thought, that is not how I want to be re- represented in this very senior role. So I then wrote to, um, I tried to get it off um, Google. Mm. You can sometimes get, uh, if you have good enough circumstances, you can get it taken off Google search. Sure. And they said, no, Google said, we think this is uh, a value to the audience so we think you're contributing yeah but it's, it, it's, it's the bbc against it yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. th- like they're going to take anything the bbc issues off yeah and then i wrote to endermore i think was the name of the big overreaching sure. production company and i said that i'm i'm really uncomfortable with this it's you know how long are you going to keep showing this um you know i'm, I'm as long I'm, as it I'm, makes money yeah and i said i'm suffering because i don't think it represents me and eventually they i said psychologically it's affecting my mental health it Honestly, was I felt this will never, this will haunt me forever, as well, it will. Less so now, but I thought this will. Well, the internet's forever, but the point is, there's so much worse stuff for people to watch that I'm afraid. But yours is nowhere near as bad. As some of the horrendous stuff that's being put out on an almost daily basis yes. in the name of reality TV. Yeah. So, in a way, it's been put in the shade purely because there's such many more worse. Things. I don't feel that now really embarrassed about it because mm. I can hold my you know head up high and say that was not me you know? no um but yeah so they um <clears throat> what I got as compensation was six six um sessions with a psychotherapist yeah who was a woman and was absolutely hopeless and I think what yeah. I felt was this this is not the first time I have been betrayed by female producers actually with the BBC who are prepared to go to such lengths to undermine or to feed their own needs. Uh, and, and, you know, I think I've mentioned to you a few times that I had a screenplay that I'd worked on for seven years. It was my baby. It was a passion project. But it was, it was just something you put your heart and soul into. Yeah, and to and them, once again, the same organ, organ that, that, that had screwed you over on Tribal Wives. Did it again. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm tempted to say the name, but I won't. But let's just say she was head commissioner of drama at the BBC. 
and she had my script for seven years and was gunning for me, uh, telling me to keep going. And then she basically said, we're taking your script. She didn't say those words. She couldn't, but she took my script and she put someone else's name on it. He was much more high profile than me. And I lost seven years of research, hard work. Some people have no conscience. No, no. So, um, you know, what I have to take away is this is a lesson learnt. And I will never, ever, ever put myself in that position again where I'm at the mercy of mercenaries. I will not sign a paper. The mercy of mercenaries. I can reference this myself. I've been in and out of the music industry for, well, between 12 and 15 years. But I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm going to talk indirectly about a friend of mine who's uh, both a session musician and also uh, recorded with the group. And they had got themselves, I think, a two-album, three-single deal. It was it was all going ahead. Uh, this is before COVID really hit. And there was some internal politics going on. I can only tell you what the end result was. Well, the production company decided not to promote the single. So the single was, was issued, and it appeared and disappeared. And very few people bought it because it was never promoted. It wasn't the right time for them. And so they lost out. And then because things then escalated, they've now lost their entire deal. And you said that he had been given an advance of 28000 Oh, 28000 And they took it back from Well, him. effectively, they demanded it back, yes. You see, I think for creatives, we're such sensitive souls. And what we put into this, our work, you know this, into our music, into our writing, it is our very soul. It is our very essence. And to have that taken away from you or abused in any way... It's utterly devastating. You know, I'm not using that word lightly. It is devastating. And well, it does feel like somebody is trampling all over you. It's like they've gone in and taken your heart out. I really feel for your friend because, you know, to some extent, that is a similar experience where you put in your hope, your hope, your hope is going up and up and you think, finally, yes. finally, I'm going to be recognised. I mean, he, he's in his, well, he's not far off from my age. And he's been, I wouldn't say, he's a bloody good actor. He's a bloody good singer. I've he, heard him. He's he performs special. very well. Oh. And he's well loved. His music is well loved. And it is just on the cusp. And then it just have it ripped out from underneath you. Not because your quality of your work is no good. Not because you haven't got anything to say. Not because you haven't even got an audience. But because a promoter decided it wasn't the right time yeah, for them. Yeah, and your friend is a very, um, you know, he, he's a very humble soul. And Quite. he puts his heart into his music. He does. And you can just hear that. So I think for us little minions who, you know, somehow, you know, we're not high profile enough. Well, there's an element for me that feels we have to sort of produce our own, take control. Yes. I'm now feeling like if I was to do something, I would want to write it, produce it, have a lot more control over how it... How it's portrayed. Yeah. you know, And how you're portrayed. Yeah, and, and, and you know, on my terms. Right. On my terms. So what can we take away from this if we're going to pull this all together again? If we're going to say, because remember, this is the essential guide to the surviving humanity. So how are you going to survive this? What are you going to take forward from it? What I'm going to take forward from it is... And we had that trite comment at the end of it, walk your walk your, your life. Yeah, sure, so, sure. But so, there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah. Well, I'm much more savvy now. And I know all about editing. And when I watch um, anything uh, on the TV, let's say, because it's different from film, I watch it with a huge amount of cynicism. And I go, this is not reality. This is not when These poor people that are being humiliated, mocked, having fame for all the wrong reasons. 
they have been manipulated too. So I think there's an element of me. Do you empathise with them now? Oh, massively, massively. And you know, you know how many suicides have come out of brother <sighs> and um, all of them. That people commit suicide. So hello, uh, production companies. These are cheap, cheap tricks you're pulling. Yeah. What happens about duty of care? There is none. So, yeah, that's the first thing. Is I have a much better understanding of what is real and what's not real. And as I said, I would take control next time. It would be on my terms if I make anything that's going to be produced publicly. So would you say the most important thing you can take from this is it's opened your eyes up and instead of being blinkered and assuming that everyone's got your best interests at heart, you just look after yourself and make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into and what you're doing. Absolutely, and you create contracts that protect yourself. This has been the Essential Guide to Surviving Humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. Fantastic. Thank you.